Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. This is the Real Estate Podcast, the intersection between the latest trends in real estate and its impact on our everyday lives. We're your hosts, Alex Norman. And Jamie Blonde, and you've come to the right location. The real estate starts now. Today's topic is access for everyone. How the demand for accessibility in the home and workplace will change our lives. Our guest today is Cheryl Davis, co-founder of Access Perfect Homes School of Real Estate and a 35-year real estate veteran based in Cocoa Beach, Florida. Welcome to the show, Cheryl. Thanks for having Welcome, me. Welcome, Cheryl. Welcome. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, um, I am Cheryl. I have been in the real estate business for about the last 35 years. Um, my role in real estate changed about 20 years ago when I ended up in a wheelchair and found out that 85% of homes are not accessible to me. So I became interested in trying to fix that problem and helping people. And one of the ways I'm doing it is through advocacy and um, education. Um, I am a doctoral candidate in industrial and organizational psychology, and my specialization is disability and inclusion. Um, so I had putting a bunch of things together and a bunch of experiences together and trying to help other people out there not to have some of the problems that I've had over the years. So this is a, a huge topic. And so thank you for joining us today. In the United States, uh, I understand that over 61 million people currently have a disability. And, and so as we age, which as we know, everyone's aging, um, it's becoming more common. So I think this, the number is about two to five out of five adults over the age of 65 acquire some form of disability. So, so basically, uh, Americans either have a disability or know someone who has one. But as you pointed out, less than 1% of the housing stock in the country meets the basic standards. So where are we seeing this environment going? What are we doing? Uh, what have you seen um, being done about this? Well, I think one of the things we're seeing is people are finally realizing that, especially with the COVID epidemic, that we need to change our homes because people want to stay in their homes now. People are afraid of going to assisted living and everything that's happened. And so we have to look at the basic construction of the home. And that's where we need to start. New homes need to meet certain standards that make it accessible for somebody's life. And we have something called universal design that um, helps with those standards and gives guidelines to architects and contractors to meet those standards. The problem is, is there's nothing legally requiring them to follow those standards. So um, people end up having to move into a home and do retrofitting and retrofitting is incredibly expensive. Um, and most people can't afford it. So they end up actually becoming prisoners in their own home. That is incredible. When you when you say that the only one percent and there's no there's no legal force behind that, so does that mean that some builders might use um, access as a selling point? Uh, is there any incentive for the builder to to put the, put it in place, or are they just thinking about cost and it's cheaper not to not to build for dis, for disability access? It's really interesting. Um, they did a study where um, they designed a house that was just a normal design, and then they designed one uni using universal design, and there was less than a $1,000 difference in building the two houses. 
um, once it was designed correctly. Now that doesn't include appliances because appliances vary a lot. But $1,000, uh, putting a 36-inch door in instead of a 33-inch, it's going to cost you $0.25. Cents. Um, and now you've got it accessible for somebody in a wheelchair or on a walker. Um, so it, it really isn't a cost issue. It's more what people are used to. They, go, they see a house and they see the lower cabinets or different level of, of countertops and stuff. And it's not what they're used to. And, and they don't think about what's going to happen 20 years from now if I'm still living here. Or what happens if tomorrow I'm in a car accident? And am I going to be able to function in this house? It's funny you say that because uh, when I've moved into the apartment I'm in now in Miami Beach, one of, and I, I did some, some redecorating, I did some construction. One of the things I wanted um, my contractor to do was to raise the level of the drawers below the sink in my bathroom because it was so low that bending over was causing me, you know, back issues. Uh, just a simple thing like that, that nobody probably thought of the fact that I'm five foot seven. Imagine if I was six foot one, how yeah. badly designed that would be when you think about it. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny that you mentioned that because it's, it's, it seems like there's both maybe not only incentive to be able to add these features, but in a lot of ways it could even increase the property value in some ways, right? So what what are the types of disability? Well, you know, when I think I, when I think of disability, I think of physical, sensory, cognitive, and environmental. Is there are there more? Is that the general categories of disability that that we that that we should be thinking about? Yeah, um, those are the major ones, um, and you can go into adding intellectual um, disabilities and. Um, you know, we autism and Asperger's and disabilities like that are becoming very big nowadays and being able to have houses that those type people can function in. And a lot of time that's going to be just having a, a set design. Um, there's a school down in Miami that has actually built like a mini house inside the school for autistic, severely autistic kids. And they're teaching them how to live in this environment so they can go into a, their own home set up the exact same way and be able to function by themselves. It might also make them more comfortable because they're not going from one environment to the other. Every environment looks the same. Yep, exactly. So, you know, we've got to take stuff like that into account too. And I mean, it can be as simple as think about when you're moving. Okay. If you have to carry all your furniture and your refrigerator up three steps to get into your door, that's a pain. And most of us wouldn't be able to do that. We'd have to hire somebody to do that, even a normal person. But if you had one entry to your house that was zero steps, then it's even going to make your everyday life, whether you have a disability or not, much easier because you have better access. And, and office buildings, workspaces, everything should start being designed like that. The problems with the ADA law, ADA does not cover residential real estate and reasonable accommodation means different things to different people. And um, we need to make some changes. There are some basic architectural guidelines with ADA. Um, it says that 5% of new housing is supposed to be accessible, but it doesn't tell them what is accessible or what do they have to do. So if they make you know, a, a, a bar by the bathroom, it's now accessible. The same with a lot of commercial places. Um, one of the parts of ADA says you have to have a five foot turning radius in the bathroom. 
Well, the problem is they do five by five and then put a toilet and a sink and a garbage can. And now you can't turn around. And a lot of times you can't even shut the door. Not to mention the couch. Yeah. Wow. That's, that, that reminds me, you know, in New York in particular, a lot of the buildings are, you know, four story, five story walk-ups. Yeah. I mean, yeah, um, you know, disability wasn't, it was not even an afterthought. It just wasn't even thought of in terms of being able to access your own apartments, let alone get your refrigerator or couch up the you know five flight of stairs. I mean, the same the same goes in some regards for places like South Beach, where uh, there might be an historic district that doesn't require any new builds, and so you're kind of stuck with this legacy uh, infrastructure that's just not you know not thought through in a universal way. So you know you're you're going. Um, not only, so the, the demand is is pushing our own thoughts about what is comfortable to live in, but it's also in some ways pushing against history. It is because if you, especially at like New York, DC, um, uh, recently was in Savannah. Um, I can't get into any place. I can't get into the restaurants. I can't get into the stores. Um, I was in uh, the older part of DC for about a week. And I had to eat at the hotel the entire time because I couldn't get into any of the restaurants. They all go in upstairs or downstairs. Um, even when I was in New York City, um, we were very limited on places we could go because there were steps up or steps down and the buildings were old enough. They didn't have to make accommodations. And so you're also a real estate agent as well, right? You sell real estate. So, yes, I do. So is there a challenge in going and selling property that's not compliant because you yourself have to go in and do walk-arounds and do you find that to be a challenge as well? Well, that's one of the reasons I got into education because selling real estate wasn't really, especially residential, wasn't an option for me anymore because most houses I cannot get into. Um, So I can help people and guide them to places and I do a lot of stuff with investment and do the return on investment analysis and stuff like that for them. And then I let somebody else do the sales. But that's how I got into education was I wanted to take my past experience and help train the next generation of realtors. And and so what are you doing exactly when you say education? What does that involve? Um, I have a real estate school and um, we teach pre and post licensing for sales associates and brokers. And we're actually developing programs to teach real estate agents on how to work with people with disabilities. Now, is that like high school where the nerds sit up front and the clicky people sit in the back and the jocks never show up? Uh, you And you're either popular if you give out, if you don't give out homework, or is it like that? Well, see, I don't care about being popular. I give out homework all the time. <laughs> Nobody and likes if you don't her. do your homework, you know, the people that are really quiet are the ones I call on and pick on. So <laughs> you um, definitely would, would not my have been popular know, <laughs> know that I'm hard, but yet most of my students, I have a good pass rate with the students. So I'm hard on them, but there's, it comes out good in the end. They're going to learn whether they want to or not, right? Exactly. That's a good PSA. Take Cheryl's course. You'll... <laughs> <laughs> You'll hate it, but boy, will you make money five years from now. Um, uh, most of my students end up saying they've had a good time in it. I try to make it as fun as I can while trying to get all the material across. Yeah. So, you know, the really the topic that, you know, when you get into thinking about disability, I think a lot of people think that uh, disability is 
not them. If they're if they're not dis- disabled, it's it's someone else's problem or someone else's issue or challenge, not their own. And not thinking about what you said about universal design as just a way of being able to make their homes more accessible, allowing them to just to live um, more freely, work more freely. And universal design is really about taking away barriers for you to be able to do that, right? And so I think people, when they think, once again, disability is one thing and and me and myself is completely, completely different. But, you know, the reality of, of the work that you're doing and the work that the universal design community is doing is really beneficial for everybody for the most part. You know, when I think about, uh, as you mentioned, COVID, yes. Right. And I think about when you mentioned COVID, you know, like some of the yeah, unfortunate side effects uh, are, you know, sense of smell and stuff like that. And, and so if you don't know that the, um, you know, that you're burning something in the kitchen because you can't smell it, uh, you know, your house burns down as a result, you know, what are the things that people, uh, you know, how does your home talk to you or communicate to you differently? So that's a mixture of, 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 physical fixtures in your home, but maybe even technology. And I hear that you know, companies like Microsoft and Apple are thinking through technological solutions and helping, um, helping people. And so I, there's a lot of activity, it seems, around this issue that's just starting to bubble up. Is it getting the attention it deserves? Uh, smart homes are really becoming the thing of the future. Um, we're seeing open floor plans are now the, the model with homes and adding the smart home features um, they can ha- tell you everything from when the pilot light goes out, if you have gas in your house so that you don't pass out or blow up, um, it can be really helpful. Um, and it makes things more accessible for everybody, kids, adults, seniors, and people with disabilities. Um, it's amazing with some of the stuff they're coming up with. So technology, uh, uh, Microsoft and Apple getting into this, seems like everyone's um, getting into it. Well, first thing I want to say, Alex, if uh, if you have lost your sense of smell and uh, your food is burning, I'd be more concerned about your cooking skills than I'd be concerned about the lack of smell. Um, what's interesting? I got to invite you over for dinner. Maybe I'll show up. Maybe I won't. Well, you know, with the lack of smell, you're not going to taste the burn. Oh, Cheryl, you, you should work. You should work at the UN. <laughs> yeah, you, you know, you, you smell. You smell like sixty-four things. You only taste four. So if you lose your taste. You know, it's- a little bit of crunching when you're eating the risotto. Everybody goes through that. <clears throat> well, you know, I, I wanted to say, Cheryl, you, you bring up really good points about how everybody benefits from the home. I'm five foot seven, 150 pounds. I got to be honest, it's a bit of a pull for me to even open my hurricane doors on my balcony. You know, when I move into a place, you got that top shelf that's hard to get to. You put that stuff in there. And then I never see that until the next move when I'm remember, reminded of what I have up there. You know, I mean, I'm just, ha- I'm just happy that I could buy an expensive sub-zero refrigerator. So the freezer's on the bottom. And not on the top. <laughs> well, that, well, that that is yeah. true actually. In kitchens, like wh- why are those do those cabinets exist above above the uh, you know above the stove top? It's like it's like the most ridiculous place to put storage. Or the one I love is the ones where they put a cabinet above the refrigerator, and it's like half right. halfway out on the refrigerator. I mean, there's no way you can put anything in there without having to get on a ladder, and you know somebody like me. A ladder to that is a question. 
Um, exactly. Exactly. And that's actually a good point you raise. I mean, things, simple things like being smarter about where you're putting your storage unit uh, yeah, spaces in, in kitchens, for example, or simply lowering a countertop by a couple of inches can really change um, the, the degree of access to which your entire family, um, you know, so that it can, can, can engage. You know, so I love thinking about these types of issues just from a, how to solve a general problem, but it really is a way of life for a lot of folks, including yourself, Cheryl, right? Yes. I mean, you know, this is, this is not an option for a lot of people in America. This is like, most, this is mandatory or required. I love to cook and I, I worked as a cook for many years. And um, that's one of the things when we did, we did our house, we couldn't afford to redo the kitchen. So our kitchen is still the same as it was. So I do cooking. I have to take everything out to the dining room table to do all my prep. And then I have to have somebody put things in and out of the oven for me. I can't cook a big dinner by myself. I have to have somebody at home because the features aren't there for me to be able to function in the kitchen without help. And to somebody like me, that's really depressing. I mean, I want to be able to cook this elaborate meal, but knowing that I have to go get somebody, pull something, you know, have somebody home to pull out of the oven for me and stuff like that is really not good. Um, One of the things I think is real interesting, I just participated in a study at the University of Florida with the Department of Construction. And the study was having me examine video models of two different designs with the bathrooms and the kitchens and saying what I liked and didn't like about it. So we are seeing these topics become more and more relevant. And we're seeing studies being done, which will eventually lead to changes, hopefully in theory and law. Um, so, but that was a really interesting one. And one of the things I loved with that is they had a countertop that had the stove top on it that went up and down. So if you were really tall, you could raise it up. But if you were in a wheelchair, you could raise it down and have very easy access to everything on the stove. And most people don't think about it, but on most stoves, if you reach over to turn it on or to turn it down, you're reaching over a fry pan or boiling water or something along that lines. And you've got major um, problems. Not even if it's um, you're in a wheelchair, but let's say you're just a normal person or women like to wear baggy sleeves that you put it over the fire and now your sleeves on fire. Um, you know, so there's a lot of benefits to everybody by going with something with universal designs and rethinking the way we lay out kitchens and, and bathrooms in, in our homes. Well, it sounds like a real opportunity for, for new businesses, up and coming businesses to attack this problem. Um, I, I think you're working with something called Access Built out of Miami. Yes, I am. Yes. Um, and our goal is to help people with this, either help the, the ideally we'd like to get in during the architectural phrase phase and, and, and design the home from that phase so that when it's built, it's fully accessible. Otherwise, if people are in a home or are buying a home, that they need to have some work done, we'll come in and help them do that work, kind of provide a concierge service, coordinate everything for them, bring in the contractor. Um, matter of fact, I'm working on getting my general contractor's license. We'll see how that goes. You're, you know, you're not an expert in enough stuff. We're just going to add something else. No. <laughs> well, my, I, have, I do have a background in building. Uh, my dad was a builder. 
And um, so it kind of made sense for me to go that way when we started Access Built so that we had somebody on staff that, you know, I'm not going to be going out and actually doing the construction, but I can oversee the construction and make sure things are done to the right um, specs and the right quality of work that we want. The group of us that are doing this are all high quality people and we want high quality work. You know, it's funny, you'd mentioned uh, about the fact that we're just coming off this pandemic or, you know, kind of still in it, depending on, on how you look at it. Uh, and people are spending a lot of their times in their homes and thus thinking about their homes in different ways, right? Whereas before we may have slept at our homes, woke up, got into work, spent more time basically out of our homes and in. Now that we're in our homes, it's becoming more important. Uh, at the same time, there's also a, a part of the population that is choosing to age in place, you know, sort of stay at home for the long haul, right? And um, and so instead of leaving their homes and moving into a facility, maybe as an independent living facility or uh, urgent care facility, what have you, where they have those, um, you know, those features for for accessibility built in, they may want to have someone come in and build out their existing space to become more accessible. So you're getting this nice balance, uh, but with the focus on home, right? The focus on where you're at, right? And, and making that a better place to be. And so it sounds like Access Built uh, um, and all these types of initiatives are kind of, you know, um, emerging and on the cutting edge is something really interesting. I think it is. Um, I think we're really, this pandemic is really exposed things. And I think it's one of the reasons why everybody expected the market to crash with the pandemic hit and the real estate market's done actually the opposite. Um, it's going crazy. Um, matter of fact, we don't have enough inventory on the market to handle the need. And I think a lot of that is people have been spending more time in their home and they know I don't like this feature. I want this feature. And they're starting to think more long-term. And we're also starting to see a lot more of generational, multi-generational housing. So you want to be able to have a place that like a mother-in-law suite or something that you can block off and teenage kids can have their own, own area of the house and, and that type thing. So I think all of this stuff is starting to come into play. And I think it's generating or um, putting the disability thing more in the for forefront. And people are realizing it's not just a disability issue. It is a life issue. And being able to stay in your home as long as you want to is really important. And we're definitely seeing that with COVID because these pe poor people that have been in nursing homes and assisted livings, they haven't been about visitors. There's been a high death rate. Um, they'd be much better off at home with their family. 100%, yeah. So, so what are the challenges that you're seeing um, in in shepherding and spearheading this idea, uh, you know, our listeners uh, are coming from all over the country uh, in various different areas of the business, the real estate and others, uh, and are connected in some ways, just like all of us with the issue of disability as we age and get older and all that. What are, what are, do you think are the barriers to actually making this a bigger issue and making it more putting it more in the forefront of people's minds as they think about real estate, the places that they live, the places they work, the places they have fun. It's more accessible for everyone. Um, number one, I think we need to change some of the laws. Um, we need to get the laws more specific on what we need. Um, I think there should be a law that every house has at least one bedroom on the ground floor, one full bathroom on the ground floor, 
at least one entrance that's zero steps. Um, we need to get that into law. And then I think the second part of it, and that's why one of the reasons education is so big, is we need to educate the architects, the contractors, the real estate agents on what they need to be looking for and where the problems are in the houses and how we can fix them. Um, and, and the fact that, you know, okay, you know, putting, it's not going to cost you any more money to put a plug 14 inches above the baseboard than putting it on the baseboard, electrical outlet. And now not only with somebody, you know, with the size problem, whether being really tall or really short or whatever, anybody can have access to that plug. So there's really simple things to do, but people don't understand that. And that's where the education and the advocacy work comes in. Well, I do think uh, the efforts you're making uh, for that cause are tremendous. And I, I think we will get movement. It's it's that type of a push that we need. Um, to pivot for just a second, uh, when you, we introduced you, we mentioned you're working out of Cocoa Beach. When I think of Cocoa Beach, I think of the Mercury astronauts in the movie, uh, The Right Stuff. Um, and, uh, and as it turns out, you actually were in the aerospace business as well, working on the Apollo and the shuttle missions, correct? My mom worked the Apollo, but I did work on the shuttle missions. And I also, I worked on with the Air Force and we did payloads for the Air Force. So, and it was fun because I was a security instructor. So I got to teach classes on how to survive a kidnapping. <laughs> and um, <laughs> That's relevant for space, right? I can't tell you how many times you had the capsule up there and all of a sudden another <laughs> capsule came by, grabbed Russia the astronaut. came by and kidnapped you. <laughs> yeah. Um, Forget about the oxygen. What is that guy doing over across the way there? <laughs> <laughs> but it was fun. I loved working out there. Um, I grew up with the Space Center. Like I, said, I remember um, as a child being in the VAB during the Apollo program and Buzz Aldrin sitting there shaking me, playing rocket ship with me. And, um, you know, I can remember, you know, Neil, yeah, all, Neil Armstrong and all of the astronauts as being a kid. And so um, it was great when I got to work. Um, I worked with a, a group of, of gentlemen that were all in the Air Force and we called them the, the dog group was their nickname. So like when they were in space, they one of the guys arranged it that at a certain time, one of the um, bays opened up and they had a Snoopy come floating out <laughs> into space for them. That's and great. We called them the dog group. So um, I got some really great memories of being out there and I am definitely a space junkie. I try never to miss a launch. Well, you and me both, uh, I, I planetariums are the, the best part of a science museum for me. And when I was young, 10 or 11, I actually built the Saturn V rocket uh, model kit, you know, would have to put the stickers in the right place and all the pieces, a thousand little pieces. It was a nightmare, but I, I loved all that stuff too. I went to Cocoa Beach High School and our senior, I, I took physics my senior year and we spent six weeks building a rocket and then you had to do all the math calculations on what, how high it would go and what it would do. And then we went out and actually launched them and you had to calculate what it actually did and then why it didn't work right the way you thought it was going to. It was a neat project. Well, you were hitting figures. You were hitting figures yep. part one. So. This has been fun, Cheryl, and I really appreciate the time that you've had, uh, you've given us today in, in, in this discussion. And, um, and so thank you very much um, for, for everything. You know, this episode has been access for everyone. You know, how the demand for accessibility in the home and workplace will change our lives. Thank you very much, Cheryl, for your time and effort. It's been great being here with you. Thank you so much, Cheryl. 
You've been listening to The Real Estate Podcast. Give us a quick review and rating on iTunes. Check out our website at therealestate.co and let us know if there are any new topics you'd like to hear us address. We love hearing your feedback. See you next week. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.